This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Everybody knows I'm a huge fan of small business. So when I saw Mike Lindell do his TV commercial and I did some homework and I found out he created this MyPillow, he opened up his shop in Minnesota, hired all American employees, all American products, created this pillow and claimed it to be the best in the world. I had to try it. So I did. I bought two of them and son of a gun, it is the best pillow I've ever owned and I don't BS. I have four of them on my bed at home. I have four of them in my touring bus. I have three of them in my airplane. I have three of them in a home theater. I even travel with one in my wardrobe box when I'm making TV. So the fact of the matter is to me, it is absolutely the best pillow in the world. And here's why. It stays cool all night long. I don't wake up in the middle of the night to flip to the cool side. It keeps its shape. My head doesn't sink. There's no more reshaping your pillow in the middle of the night. It comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee. Try it. If you don't like it, you return it. And my pillow even comes with a 10-year warranty. Do you have a pillow that comes with a 10-year warranty? I don't think so. And you can toss a my pillow in your washer and dryer, and it's like new again. Try doing that with your pillow and see what happens. And best of all, it's made in the USA. Go to MyPillow.com, click on a buy one, get one free special, and use code TAFFER, and you'll get one free pillow when you buy one at regular price plus shipping. Take advantage of their best offer. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the buy one, get one free special, and enter promo code TAFFER. I promise you, you will love your MyPillow. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of shit for us to talk about, so stop making excuses and let's get started because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. Hello and welcome to the No Excuses podcast with me, John Taffer. Today is Monday, October 22nd, and we have a killer show. I had Daniel Negreanu, a dear, dear friend of mine and hockey buddy, who's kid poker, one of the greatest poker players in the world. I want you to hear how Dan started in the poker business, how he won $40 million in the poker business. It's a fascinating story. We also have a great caller segment. I know there's a lot of great callers out there. Casey promised me that. And then I want to talk about what's going on a little bit. But let's start with what I did yesterday. Last night, I had the honor of hosting and being master of ceremonies at Ronald McDonald House, Las Vegas chapter. And I was there with about 600 sponsors and donors to Ronald McDonald House, and it blew me away. You know, when I was 10, 11 years old, I always used to drop change. My mother used to let me reach over her when she drove the car when we went to McDonald's so I could drop the change when I was a little kid in the Ronald McDonald House collection slot there outside the drive through window. And I never knew what it did. You know, I knew it was a house, and I guess kids played in there. And then as I got older, I learned that sometimes people can stay there. And after emceeing at this event and spending five, six hours with these people, watching videos, understanding, Ronald McDonald House is unbelievable. 
When families' children have cancer and get sick and ill, they can stay at a Ronald McDonald house with their family so the family doesn't get separated. And often surgeries and cancer and a lot of these illnesses happen in another town. So what happens is the child goes to the hospital and the parents have to stay at home with the siblings and jobs and all that. Not with Ronald McDonald House. They're beautiful homes with about 12 or 15 rooms in them. And the entire family stays in Ronald McDonald House. Now they're together. There's shuttles to take them back and forth to the hospital. Companies like Capital One have employees who make bag lunches every day, bring the bag lunches to the hospital while the families are sitting, holding the hands of their sick child or waiting for them to get back from tests or surgery. Ronald McDonald House is an incredible organization, and it's supported by the owner-operators of McDonald's, which is unbelievable. But there's many, many other people who support it, from Capital One to, to bread companies to, to uh, all sorts of banking, uh, Nevada State Bank, and many, many others in the case of Nevada. Do me a favor. Next time you drive by a McDonald's, put some money in that slot. And think about if your family was ill and you had to separate, what would you do? Think of the cost and staying in hotels and how do you get back and forth to the hospital and what do you do with your children while you're at the hospital? Ronald McDonald House is the most important thing to families that have a sick child that have to go in the hospital. And that's something I don't wish on any of us. But my enlightenment about Ronald McDonald House, I had to share with you. This is a significant organization who's doing very, very powerful work. Don't drive by next time and not slip some change in. And you know what? If you don't get change, slip a little paper in there or give. But Ronald McDonald House is the real deal, and they do some outstanding work with outstanding volunteers. And I was honored to be their MC last night here in Las Vegas at the Four Seasons Hotel. So thank you all for having me. And again, uh, let's not forget Ronald McDonald House. They do some amazing work. Drop some money next time you see it. Speaking of money, I thought this was pretty incredible. A uh, The most expensive bottle of scotch of all time sold last week, a bottle of 1926 McCallan Valerio Adami sold for a world record of 848,000 pounds. Give or take, that's about a million and a half bucks uh, uh, for one bottle of scotch. And what's interesting is there were several. They had made about 24 bottles when they first made them. A bunch were lost in, in um, an oh, earthquake in Japan. Some of them were actually drank, so this is one of the last ones, and it's beautiful. It's got a beautiful bottle, and it's interesting that somebody would spend a million and a half dollars for a product that they will never consume uh, uh, because that's a scotch that you're never going to drink. You know, it's funny, being in the alcohol and, and the bar business, a lot of the liquor companies send me gifts and birthday presents and things like that, and they always put my name on a bottle or happy birthday, John, or happy birthday, 2018, or congratulations, Bar Rescue 100th episode. Whatever they put on a bottle, they always engrave something on a bottle, and they know what they're doing because when they engrave it on the bottle, you're not going to open the bottle because now it's a, quote, special bottle. So I have all these bottles with all this stuff engraved all over the place that I don't drink. So I have like four bottles of Johnny Walker Blue. Uh, uh, that I can't open because my name is on them. So when I want some, I got to go to the store and buy one. So <laughs> it's funny. I think they know what they're doing. They give you the bottle that they know you're not going to open, so you buy another one. Okay, if you don't have a reason to come to Las Vegas, you certainly do now. This is the Coup de Gras, the ultimate tourist attraction. And I'm just going to let you know what's going on here. Here it is Manson, Charles Manson's hospital gown, toe tag. And all of his bone fragments are headed to the Haunted Museum in Las Vegas. 
which is really unbelievable. Manson's grandson, Jason Freeman, gave Zach Bagans, the owner of the Haunted Museum, all of these items this week. They're going to be front and center at the Vegas Haunted Museum, which already features Manson's fake teeth and two paintings, one that has his urine and the other his ashes in it. Personally, I have no desire to get anywhere near Charles Manson's bones or artifacts myself. I think they shouldn't be seen by anyone. All right, we've all seen the antics of uh, Elon Musk lately with his uh, dope smoking on camera, his assertions that he's going to take the company private, the stock crashing, the lawsuits being filed. This guy's on a roll. So I'm looking at a picture of him. Uh, 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 it's actually a TMZ print-up, so thank you, Harvey. I'm looking at a picture of Elon right now, and, and uh, this guy has the reddest eyes I've ever seen. I've been in a bar business for 35 years, and I know when somebody's drunk or when somebody's stoned, and this guy, I think, is both. But in any event, the picture is incredibly alarming, and it he talks about the fact that Mark has filed the legal documents, Musk, rather, has filed the legal documents to develop a Tesla-branded tequila. And this is not a joke. He's got a label. Tesla Kakilia, Tesla Kilia, there it is, Tesla Kilia, 100% Puro de Agave. So it's not a joke because he's filed federal forms to do it, and you don't file federal forms as a joke because they don't like that stuff. So if you file a trademark on all these applications, you're going to do it. So Musk is now going into tequila business. So I guess he had, does, in fact, have a love for alcohol. Maybe the cannabis business will be next. Tesla weed, who knows? I must confess, I love the stock market. And Robinhood is a really cool investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all completely commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. And it's a really cool, non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. It's simple and intuitive. It has a great design presented in a very easy way to digest. So when you think about it, no commission freeze. Other brokerages' houses will charge 10 bucks for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. Not to trade stocks or to do anything. All the profits is yours. It's easy to understand with charts and market data, and you can trade in just four taps on your smartphone. Here's the best part. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up now at taffer.robinhood.com. That's taffer.robinhood.com. All righty. How about this in Virginia? Trick-or-treaters over 12. If you're over 12 years old, you are not allowed to trick-or-treat in the state of Virginia. I just cannot get over this. So if you're over 12, you could face, you ready, jail time in Virginia for trick-or-treating over 12 years old. I mean, I just don't understand uh, 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 all of the regulatory matters that happen. You know, I think with all the millions of laws that we have across the country, from federal to state to county to municipal, uh, uh, to, to parish and every other cut than, and way that they've defined laws geographically. I find it interesting that every morning lawmakers wake up with the purpose of creating new ones. And the problem with lawmakers is they think they have to make new laws every day. And I suggest that in many, many cases, we probably have enough laws. And here is some individual in the state of Virginia, candidly being an idiot, and the people that signed it, it's just shocking. 
unless it was uh, uh, due to some very specific issues in some very specific neighborhoods and it relates to curfews and violence and things like that. The fact that a 13-year-old child can't enjoy Halloween in Virginia tells me that maybe that's the beginning of reasons to leave there. We'll see, and I know some people are going to send me some hate mail for that, but that's just a really stupid rule. Now we're going to restrict the actions of children. All righty, speaking about restricting the actions of children. So, Illinois governor candidate J.B. Pritzker is heir to the Hyatt fortune, sir. Pritzker is an extremely wealthy man. He's running uh, for governor in Illinois. He, again, has all his money from Hyatt Hotels. He's an investor. He even owns cannabis uh, paraphernalia company called Pax. And his equity fund invests in many, many, many things. And I guess that uh, JB must be uh, pretty sharp or pretty stupid. I'm not sure because, believe it or not, the man owns a second mansion next to the one they live on on Chicago's Astor Street. And this mansion was assessed at about $6.3 million dollars. And he's not living in it. It's vacant right now. But they bought it and they own it. And a couple of weeks ago, they removed all six toilets from the mansion. Now, listen to this freaking scam that, that uh, 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 Pritzker did. He removed six toilets from the house, mansion, mansion, making it legally uninhabitable. And as soon as he does that, the tax burden for the 6,300-square-foot mansion goes from $6.3 million to $1.1 million. So as an end result, Pritzker pays about 20%, give or take, of the taxes that he would have paid. And that is a scam. And for that reason, Pritzker should not be governor of anything. That's outrageous. It's a lie. Yep, the toilets aren't there. Yep, it's inhabitable. But... The toilets were removed for the purpose of defrauding the tax assessment on the house. Mr. Pritzker, I hope you lose, and I hope you lose big time. All righty. Who has heard of Nancy Crampton Propy? So she is the woman who wrote How to Murder Your Husband, which was a pretty darn successful book, and I believe it was a movie, too. <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago, uh, 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 Miss Propy chose to murder her husband. And she did it in pretty much the same way <laughs> that she described in the book. So they come to arrest her. She really is very cool, very calm, and she uh, <laughs> got arrested for murdering her husband. So I think I would not refer to her book as a good instruction guide on how to murder your husband, considering how quickly she went down in flames. So uh, if one is going to murder their spouse, I suggest they find another source for the procedure to do so. Uh, uh, because uh, uh, she went down in a pile of flames. So I love Daniel Negreanu, and and let me tell you a little bit about Danny. Danny and I are friends. We go to hockey games together, and and we've played poker together, and and we've been on television together. Danny's known as Kid Poker, and he's written books, and he's on the poker championships all the time. And when Danny was young, he used to play poker and shoot pool, Daniel Negreanu wanted to be a hustler gambler from being a child. Now, I don't know of anyone who ever said to me when they were growing up, I want to be a poker player. I want to be a hustler. But Daniel did. So he got really good at it, saved his money. When he was about 16, 17, maybe he was 18 years old, he'll tell the story in a moment, he goes to Vegas to play poker. Now he's playing with all the big guys. He loses all of his money, runs back to Toronto with his tail between his legs. 
plays poker in, in charity events in Toronto, saves his money, comes back to Vegas a second time, and kicks butt. Daniels won $40 million. He is a bracelet. He is truly one of the greatest poker players in the world. And I suggest to all of you that poker is exactly the same as life. We're all dealt a hand every day, aren't we? We all have to deal with what hands everybody else has every day, too, don't we? We all have to deal with bluffs and the reality of people having better assets, better hands, better strength than we do. Life is a poker game. Sometimes you bluff and win. Sometimes you win with a good hand. Sometimes you lose. And when you think about the body movement, the way that a guy, a championship player like a Daniel Negreanu plays, staring at every movement, everything you do, there is so much about playing poker that we can apply to our real lives. And that's why I'm so excited to have Daniel here with me. I want to hear from you. Matter of fact, I want to talk to you. So send me an email at podcast at johntaffer.com. That's podcast at johntaffer.com. And we'll set up a call. You'll come on a podcast and we'll talk. But challenge me. Give me some tough stuff. Don't tell me you like Bar Rescue. Tell me you hate it. Tell me something that's challenging. Ask me some, for some help, some advice. Have me share something personal with you. I'll do it. I'll do whatever you guys want me to do because that to me is fun. Put me on thin ice and let's see if I crack through. Send me an email to podcast at johntaffer.com. Tell me what you want to talk about and we'll set it up and you can be on a podcast. You can also follow me. At John Taffer on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. But most important, podcast at JohnTaffer.com. Well, Daniel Negreanu is a Canadian professional poker player who is one of my dearest friends. He's won six World Series of Poker bracelets and two World Tour Championship titles. The Independent Poker Ranking Service Global Poker Index, the GPI, recognized Negreanu as the best poker player of the decade in 2014. As of 2018, he is the second biggest live tournament poker winner of all time, having accumulated over, you ready, 39500000 in prize money. Coming up in a minute when I come back, Daniel Negreanu. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Well, there's no doubt the NFL and NCAA football season is in high gear, and you've learned a lot so far. So why not take that pigskin knowledge to the bank at betdsi.com? BetDSI is celebrating 20 years online, and they've built an impeccable reputation for great service and fast payment of your winnings. To help you get started with some extra bang for your buck, BetDSI is offering double your money on your first deposit. That's right. Deposit to start winning and get up to $2,500 free. That's double your money right from the get-go. When it comes to football, BetDSI has every wager you could ever want or imagine. If it's happening, BetDSI will put a line on it. Bet on the NFL, NCAA football, MLB, NBA, UFC, eSports, and other global sports, and even bet on politics, celebrities, and reality shows for that matter. You can also bet on games while they're playing with BetDSI's live betting. So join BetDSI today using promo code TAFFER101, and you've already won by doubling your bankroll right out of the gate. Yep, put in TAFFER101 as your promo code and get in the action and get paid. And once you become a member and you have all this sweet bonus money, what are you going to do then? Join the BetDSI 2018 Handicappers Cup. So go to BetDSI, get all the information, get on board, and get your money doubled too. 
Support for No Excuses comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. Let's talk about buying a home. It can be one of the most important purchases you'll ever make. But today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments, which can turn a great experience into an anxious one. That's why Quicken Loans created their exclusive power buying process. Here's how it works. They check your income, assets, and credit to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, making your offer more attractive to sellers. Once verified, you qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your interest rate for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. Then once you've found the one, if rates have gone up, your rate stays the same. But if rates have gone down, you get to keep that new lower rate. Either way, you win, buddy. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash taffer. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-day purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Taffer's back. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. You know, it's always fun to have a friend on, and Daniel Negreanu is a good friend. We're hockey buddies, aren't we, Daniel? Yes, sir. we got to have a, a nice big showing tomorrow night with, Buff, with Buffalo coming to town. Yeah, we butter. You know, I've been really eager to have you on the show, Daniel, because your story of success is fascinating, buddy. And, you know, I've really done my homework on you. Let me give the audience a bit of a snapshot, and then I want to talk to you about how you started. And your story is very inspiring to a great many people. So Daniel, at the age of 16, living in Toronto, Canada, discovered an affinity for gambling, pool, hustling, and poker. I guess it was just in your blood, huh? Well, you know, I was always a competitive person, and being, like, well, skinny and short didn't leave me a lot of options to play in the NBA or the NHL. So <laughs> poker was, luckily enough, a game for me where that wasn't a, you know, a negative. <laughs> it just it was all about brain power, and I, I, you know, I was drawn to it very early. So you're really into gambling, and so you started playing in competitive environments, a lot of charity events and stuff, and then, as I understand it, your bankroll grew, you were one credit away from finishing high school, and you literally packed your bags and went to Vegas. Is that true? Yeah, it might have been more like three or four credits. We're not exactly sure. (laughs) I haven't seen my high school report in quite a while, but uh, yeah, essentially, you know, I I started out as a pool player, and then was introduced to poker, and uh, you know we were, what we, were pl- we were playing in these charity casinos in Toronto that were rampant all over the, over the city, and I started to play Monday to Friday, noon to eight, like almost like a real job. And at the time, I was about a 17, 18-year-old or so, I was making about $45 an hour and uh, felt like you know this was going to be what I'm going to do with the rest of my life, and school just kind of, at the time, kind of got in the way. So I left school, didn't even finish because I didn't see the, you know, the need at the time. And, uh, you know, then I made my first trip to Vegas, and it was an eye-opener. Wow. So, so you go to Vegas, and now you're playing it with a whole different league of play. I want my listeners to understand that you knew what you wanted to do at a young age. This was your passion. If you closed your eyes when you were 12 years old and pictured your future, would this be it? Well, when I was 12 years old, I was like, I thought, you know, acting, writing, something in, like, the film world would be where I was at. Um and then my life took a turn in another way, and I found poker, which satisfied my competitive urges in a real big way. And I sort of became a big fish in a small pond of Toronto, where I was one of the best players here. And quickly I learned that, you know, in Vegas, 
the locals there, they've seen a lot of hometown heroes come and go, you know, at the time. And uh, for a lot of them, I was just another hometown hero. Um, and it was certainly like a different caliber of play. It's like trying to hit, in the, you know, if you play a minor league baseball and you're, you're hitting, you know, 30 home runs against slower pitching, but all of a sudden you're throwing the ball 10, 15 miles faster. Uh, and all of a sudden, you, you know, you keep, and, they, and their curveballs are sharper and the, their placement is better. And you're like, hey, wait a minute. You know, this isn't as easy as I would have thought. So it was definitely humbling my first couple trips to Vegas. Now, I know this stuff has been published, and I normally wouldn't ask somebody a question like this, but I know it's been published, and I'd like my audience to understand the magnitude of your ability in poker. Would you tell us approximately what your lifetime winnings are in poker? So in tournaments themselves, it's about $40 million. That doesn't include cash games or anything like that. It also doesn't, you know. So it's been tournaments, which is all that really is recorded. It's about $40 million, and I've been number one on that list for most of my career. Just recently, uh, a kid named Justin Bonomo passed me, winning a big event, but uh, so now I sit at number two. And, uh, but I'm you know, certainly happy with the career that I've had. Yeah, you should be, buddy. So you moved to Vegas. Now you start playing in the big games. Did you start winning right away? Did you have any rude awakenings? Did you have any second thoughts? Because now you packed up, you go to, to Vegas, you're sitting there as the hometown hero. You're playing with the other guys who are thinking they can chew you up. What was that experience like, Dan? Oh, I did not win early. So I went there with about $3,000, $3,500. And about 24 hours later, I was in Las Vegas for the very first time watching people play poker because my bankroll was gone. Um, I remember it vividly. You know, um, it was a different animal playing against players that pushed back. In, in Toronto, I was kind of a bull and I ran people over, well, these guys, they knew how to defend against that. So I remember the very first time when I realized I was a sucker was a time where it was about 4 a.m., and I you know, lost my last chips. I went to the bathroom, washed my hands, walked out, and the seven players I was playing with had all left immediately. So I realized in that moment, like, oh, my goodness, like they were playing because of me. They were, wow. I was a sucker in the game. And I remember that being like a very motivating moment in my life where I was like, I wanted revenge on every one of them, and I knew that in order to do that, I was going to have to go back to Toronto, rebuild my bankroll, and improve and continue to learn and, and get better. Where did the name Kid Poker come from, which is your name online, and, and you're really known as Kid Poker in the poker world? How did that name come up? It really, yeah, it started, I mean, as a teenager, I was playing with guys that are 40, 50, you know, there was no young players. when I, You know, today there's a whole bunch of young players who are, you know, very, very skilled, but in my time... You know, being a 22-year-old, there was no other 22-year-olds around. So I was the kid. You know, I was the young kid who was better than he was supposed to be, and kid poker kind of stuck. I watch you play poker, and I watch you slide a half a million dollars onto that table. And, of course, when we watch you on television, we see what hand you have. So we know if you're bluffing, we know if you're losing, we know if you're winning. And I watch the look on your face, and not one muscle moves when you slide that half a million dollars out on the table. Was that natural for you? Do you concentrate on not moving your muscles and keeping that poker face? Because obviously you're the best at it. Uh, is that did that come well, natural you know to you, or were you thinking about don't move now, don't touch my chips now, don't look that way, don't look that way? Is it conscious? You know, to be honest, like I feel like compared to some other poker players, I'm a lot more expressive than they are because I'm very comfortable in my skin. And um, obviously, you know, when you're betting big amounts like that. You don't think of, okay, I'm betting half a million dollars. This could buy a house. This could buy a car. If you're thinking like that, you're already sort of, you know, lost the strategical battle because you need to be able to just be free and comfortable. And part of being comfortable 
um, you know, is disassociating yourself from the money and the stakes. When you do that, then you can be more stoic and you're not giving off as much and you don't move a muscle. You know, if you're, if you know that you just put the last bit of money in your, in, in, in your pocket and you put it all on the table and you're, it's in the middle and you're bluffing, it's much more difficult for you to keep it together and not give it away and show the stress that's on your face, your neck, your eyes, you know, your arms everywhere. Yeah, you told me something amazing a few weeks ago when we were together, how you told me that when you watch a poker player and our, our friends that are listening that play poker will do this. When I get my cards, if my eyes go to the chips next, you know I have a good hand because I went right to looking at how much to bet. But yet you told me if my eyes look at the cards first rather than the chips first, it's likely that I'm assessing the hand and haven't decided to bet. Is that true? Yeah, so there's one. There's a lot of subconscious things that you know that we do as humans that we don't even realize we're doing. And with a lot of beginning players or you know newer players, one of the ones you're discussing is called like the chip glands tell. And essentially, what it is is in holding you get two cards, three cards come out on the board, and that's called the flop. Now, when a player likes what they see on the flop, their brain is telling them next thing you need to do is bet chips. So once they have that thought, the eyes often will just take a quick glance at what they're about to do next. And when you spot that, that's a sign that they like what they saw. Now, that same player, if they stare at the flop, look at their cards, look at the board, and don't do the chip glance, the thought of them betting hasn't occurred to them because they don't have a very good hand. They haven't connected with that board. So a lot of times I could play with beginners and not even look at my cards, but just watch, the opponent, watch my opponents look at their cards and look at the board, and I know when I can bluff and take the pots from them, and I know when I should just fold my hand. You're just like an entrepreneur if you think about it. The cards on the table is the market conditions. Your hand is your product quality. And now you're going to position your hand in that marketplace to either achieve a bluff, cause them to bet more. But it's very entrepreneurial at that poker game, right? If the market conditions are, are solid, you can win with a terrible hand. If the market conditions aren't favorable, you could lose with a, medi- with a decent mediocre hand, you know, a pair of eights or whatever that might be. It's fascinating, the similarities of what you do in a poker hand with an entrepreneur. Dan, you know what's amazing to me, but is, is that you came here, you got defeated, you went home, and it didn't shake you. Your goal still stayed intact. You went home, and you still wanted to be a poker player. You went back to Toronto, played again, did well there got your money back, and then came back to Vegas a second time to launch yourself. The second trip, what was different in your head? Yeah, well, before I get there, you know, the thing about the entrepreneur thing is very, very relevant because I think it's super important for people to, if they are going to be a professional poker player, to treat it like a business. Like, you are the product. You are, like, the business. And that means making sure that, you know, you're sleeping well, doing everything you can um, to, you know, be prepared. And, And leading into the second trip to Las Vegas, I mean, I went in knowing that, you know, last time I got my butt kicked and that it was important for me not to just walk in there with this attitude that I know everything and everybody around me is clueless. And, you know, I knew the second time going in that I had to show some respect to some of these players. And rather than just expect myself to be a bull in a china shop where I could knock everybody out, I have to have some texture to my game and, you know, build what's called a table image where, you know, that's, you're more difficult to read, a little more you know, relaxed, if you will. And uh, so the second time I went in a lot fresher and a lot more prepared. I think the first time it was like, it's like any kind of kid, you know, like imagine a kid in sport who was playing his very first game. You know, he's going to have an extra little bit of adrenaline. He's going to try to do too much sometimes, and that could backfire. And I feel like my first trip was certainly that. You know, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm the best. Let's go. And then 
the realization going into the second time is, hold on, you've got a lot to learn. A lot of these guys have been doing this for 20, 30 years. This is the best of the best you're playing against. So be in humility, you know, focus on doing, playing your best and really doing your best. And, uh, and it worked out a little bit better on the second trip. You know, it took, still took me a few more trips before I really figured it out. Are you sick and tired of paying all these different companies for your TV service? Well, Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand all completely free. Pluto TV will never ask for a credit card, and you don't even need to sign up to watch for free. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies for free. So what are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again simply by downloading Pluto TV. And you can download it for free on all your favorite devices, including your phone, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Smart TVs, PlayStation, and anywhere else you stream. So what are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again. Download Pluto TV for free on all your favorite devices right now. You know, I've had certain milestones in my life. When I opened my first big nightclub, Daniel, it was big, and I spent millions of dollars on it. And when nobody was there at 2 in the morning, I walked in 3 in the morning, and I stood in this domain that I had created, and I felt like a million dollars. It was the first time I realized that I had sort of arrived, so to speak. And then, you know, when I bought my airplane, it was another big moment, because you never think that you would achieve something like that. What was the first tournament of the game where you actually said to yourself, holy shit, I just won a million dollars. Or when was the moment that you actually said to yourself that you really are good at this, even playing in Vegas with the champions? Yeah, it was 1998, and uh, I was playing the circuit, um, which is a very small circuit, talking about $100, $300, $200 buy-in and stuff. And I was doing quite well. You know, I had won a tournament in three consecutive cities um, during their festivals, and that led into the World Series of Poker in 1998, where... I never actually had enough money to really enter one because this was a, another level bankroll-wise. I was playing, you know, as I said, $300 tournaments. The minimum here is 2000 So um, I was lucky enough to win a satellite to get into a pot limit hold'em tournament. And I never really played that version of hold'em. There's three versions. There's like limit poker, pot limit poker, and no limit. I played no limit. I played limit. I'd never played pot limit before in my life. But I thought, you know what? I'm here in Vegas. Let's give this a shot. And uh, the very first table I had was a murderer's row. Of Johnny Chen, Eric Seidel, you know, then the master, Dan Harrington, all the guys at the time that were considered like, you know, the guys. And I remember bluffing Johnny Chan in the hand, and he didn't catch me. And I said, okay, all right, my game can compete here. Slowly but surely, we made it into the money. All of a sudden, I'm at the final table, and now I'm heads up in my very first tournament at the World Series Poker for a bracelet. And I get it all in in what's called a coin flip situation. I was lucky enough to win it, and I won a bracelet at the age of 23, which was the youngest at the time. Uh, and in that moment, I felt like, especially after the three months of, you know, working hard and preparing, that I'd really arrived. And I, my name started to get out there among, you know, the poker community as like, you know, this kid is an up-and-comer. And, uh, you know, my consistent results were starting to show. So that was certainly like the pinnacle of when I realized, like, no, you know, you, you're a player. You're like, you can, you can play with the big boys. How do you separate yourself from the money? You know, we all invest in businesses and do things with our money in life. And, and, you know, you're investing in a hand. You're slipping a few hundred grand into that pot. That's an investment at that moment, right? And you're investing in something. Either you're investing in your belief that they're going to fold. You're investing in your belief that your hand's better. But you're investing, so to speak. Dan, how do you separate yourself from the money? 
How do you slide that 200 grand in and not think twice about it and, and just be comfortable with the decision that you've made? I was a businessman at that point making that investment. Yeah, so like it's very similar to, you know, people who are in the stock market, right? Sometimes, you know, good stockbrokers or stock market or people who play the market, they look at a situation, they put in a bet or an investment on a certain stock, and a lot of the time, you know, it goes up and it, it's profitable, but sometimes it doesn't, right? Now, you yeah. can look back at that decision, and as long as you made the right decision based on the data you had, you know, you realize that there's going to be fluctuations, and you have to have the emotional stability to sort of handle that kind of fluctuation, right? So much like that in poker, I look at it as investment. Sometimes if I'm going to put 100000 in with pocket aces, and a guy beats me with a six and a three, some garbage hand, I don't cry, you know, over spilt milk. It's like, okay, so great. You know, I got my, I had equity in this situation where I was, you know, I was, my, my return on investment was going to be about 85000 on average. This happened to be the 15% of times where it fails and goes belly up. But I know that if I consistently make investments that are, have that positive equity and a positive return, that eventually things will, will break even. Like not, the best stock guy in the world doesn't just have a graph that goes straight up and doesn't have any dips. The dips are inevitable. The emotional stability to handle those dips is what's unique amongst, I think, super successful people. You know, it, it's so true. And we can't equate, and this is where salespeople blow it, marketing people blow it. They look at their performance in a very short period of time. It isn't about today. It's about this month or this quarter or this year. So you've been able to look at it in a bigger picture, longer term, realizing that you're going to lose a few you know, hands for a few hundred thousand dollars on your way to make a few million. So it's understanding that it's not about a single transaction or a single hand or for us in the business world, it's a longer term play. You don't get demoralized because you, you have a bad sales day or a bad marketing result or a promotion doesn't work in business. We have to be like Daniel Negreanu. We have to look at it as a hand and we lost that hand. But now what's critically important is the next hand. Because the next hand is an opportunity all over again. It has nothing to do with the previous hand. That's what's powerful to me about what you do, Daniel, is you invest hundreds if not thousands of times a day into situations in the moment just like we do in business. Uh, it's fascinating. Yeah, and, you me. know, sure, within that, like, you know, the word patience comes to mind. Like when you open up a new bar, you don't expect day one to recoup all the investment and to be out of debt and a place to be packed and everything to be perfect. It's a process where you're looking at a long-term investment. Okay, so, you know, you, 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 you spend so much money building it, creating it, doing all those things, and now you're hopeful that, you know, you have a good marketing team that brings it together. And then with time, you know, if you're looking at the bigger picture, you think, okay, this could be huge. But, you know, if you only looked at, like, one week in and you go, man, we're not <laughs> – this isn't successful. If you're, fo if you're only looking on the short term like that, you'll live in disappointment at all times, and you'll never really realize – you know, the big successes that take time and they don't always just come like that. Like, not, you know, not everyone is lucky enough to just jump in the World Series and win the very first event. Often, you know, it takes years and years of plugging away and, you know, continuing to ply your trade and do the, make the best decisions you can. And hopefully, you know, they pan out. You've turned poker into a business. You've done books. You've done media work. Talk a little bit about the, the poker business of Daniel Negreanu. Yeah, so obviously throughout, you know, throughout the years in poker, I was able to build a brand in the game of not only being somebody who, you know, excelled at playing, but also was personal on TV and, you know, was a draw and, you know, built a fan base of my own. And with that, companies start to take notice and they think, okay, well, we want to associate our brand with this guy. 
poker stars being, you know, um, uh, I have a sponsorship deal with them or like an endorsement deal that I've had for 10 plus years now, you know, they look at what I can bring in terms of value for them to bring new customers to their site, things like that. And that all comes from uh, a combination of a resume of this guy being an established player, but not only that, a personality. It's not enough to just be good at poker. Like if you look at golf as an example, there was a period where, you know, obviously Tiger Woods gets every endorsement that he needed, but VJ Singh, he was number one in the world, but he didn't have that kind of, you know, star power. So he wasn't able to like cultivate that same sort of like, um, you know, finance from, from branding and from sponsorship. So it's a combination of playing well, being, you know, being there at the right time during the poker boom and, you know, having a personality that I think is relatable to the average person and, uh, you know, enjoyable to watch and good for ratings. You know, when I talk, and Daniel talks about a brand, let me uh, share with you the power of Daniel's brand. I'll go to a Golden Knights hockey game or to an event in Los Angeles, and I have 91 million viewers that watch Bar Rescue, Daniel. And I will stand next to you, and we'll be talking, and more people will recognize Daniel Negreanu than recognize me. And, you know, that's the brand equity that you've built through poker. And it's grown past poker, buddy. You know, you're viewed as more of a character, more of a, of a uh, uh, interactor brand, an educator. You've really taken it to the next level. Did you picture that? You know, I always did. I mean, it sounds crazy to say that, but ever since I was a young kid, as I said, I had aspirations of, you know, being an actor or being in the film industry. But I always felt like I, you know, was, was intelligent and I was above average at most things that I did and that I was going to be successful. And, you know, when you are successful, you're going to be in the limelight. So I really did see it coming when I was young. And um, I didn't know that it was going to be in poker. But, you know, it just so happened that that's the life I chose. And uh, I'm, I'm a very outspoken person. I have been ever since I was a kid. And when you do have an opinion and you're willing to, you know, make it known, you, you make noise in the community or whatever environment you're in, and you start to get, you know, people start to take notice. Sometimes poker players can be assholes at tables. You know that. You know, they, they put on their posture and their shades, and they, you know, degrade, and they laugh, and they do things because they're playing their mental game. I get that. Do you ever, and I wouldn't ask you who, what, and where, do you ever walk away with a, a, a personal resentment towards an individual and the way they behaved in a tournament? Does it ever get personal to you, even if you keep that personal part inside you? Do you ever feel that way? Well, I mean, yeah, I'm like, I don't like bullies at all. And when somebody's bullying somebody else, like making fun of them or mocking the way they play and all that, I pull out my big bully stick and I bully them back because I don't stand for that. I don't like that. Like, if you're a professional poker player, right, and these players are playing poorly against you and they're making dumb mistakes, you should be thankful and happy because those mistakes are going to lead to your profit at the year end. If you, you know, chastise them and make fun of them or mock them, like, they may not enjoy the experience. They may not want to play anymore, especially with you. And now you lose out on that customer. So it's super important to keep it together. Like, yeah, sometimes, you know, some player will do some of the dumbest things ever and it costs me a tournament, but getting mad at that guy for, you know, him making mistakes, that's just stupid, you know? So instead I just go, okay, well, you got me this time, but good luck. And I'll get you in the next one and move on from it. And that's the truth, buddy. So, so, uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever been asked this question in this way, but you know, a lot of us dream to live a life like you, buddy. You're, you're a single guy in Vegas. You know, you got millions of dollars, your poker tournament. Everybody in this town knows who you are. It's sort of a dream life. If somebody wanted to be a professional poker player, how would they do it? Well, I'm going to tell them, you know, the, the, the bad news. Okay. The bad news, it's not as simple as just walk in here and go, look at this. I play poker. I'm making a bunch of money. What it takes is hard hard work 
and lots and lots of hours of practice and lots of hours of study, just like anything, you know. So if you were going to start out now, I would recommend, you know, if you played a six to eight hour session of poker where you're playing, then you also spend four hours that day or, you know, an equal amount where you're studying the game, studying the math, you know, studying your opponents, all these types of things to constantly improve. Um, I, I don't believe in doing things sort of like half-assed, and, and especially with becoming a professional poker player. If you're going to do that now, there are so many resources available, you know, practicing online and learning from other people who have done it. I have a master class, which, you know, is available that you can just, like, learn from. And there's so many opportunities to do that, but you have to do all those things. You can't just expect it to happen easy. It's, it's, not, it's a hard way to make an easy living, as they say. Yeah, I bet it is. It's no different than business, buddy. I got to know my stuff, too, don't I? took me years of homework and research to get as good uh, uh, at what I do as I am. And the same thing is with you. Poker is no different than business and life. you got to work hard and perfect it. And you've done that, Daniel. You know, I think that you are a great example of success for us all. And I was really eager to have you on the show for people to hear about your dreams, your disappointments, your conquering that disappointment and achieving the success that you have. Thank you for being here, buddy. It was great to talk oh, to you. When's, ne when's your next tournament? I'm actually like sort of in a, in a little break right now. We got Golden Knights Hockey, as you know. I'll be at the games. And I don't think I'll be playing another one until December. So this little bit of a, like what we call the off-season right now. So, Daniel, where can people find you on social media if they want to look you up and engage with you? So on Twitter, I'm at Real Kid Poker. And then I just started using Instagram and stories like that. And on Instagram, I'm at Dnegs Poker. That's D-N-E-G-S Poker. So, uh, yeah, those are, the, you know, through that, I also have a YouTube channel, which, you know, I post anytime I'm, I'm going to do a video there um, on one of those two channels. Great. And where can they find your masterclass? If you go to masterclass.com, you know, you can learn how to shoot hoops from Steph Curry. You can learn to play chess from Kasparov. You can learn how to act from, you know, Steve Martin, direct from Martin Scorsese. There's a vast majority of, there's just a wide range of like super successful people that teach classes. I'm also one of them and I do poker and you can find that at masterclass.com. I got to tell you, buddy, every time I talk to you, it's a good bet. You know what I mean? It's always fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Daniel. Ladies and gentlemen, Daniel Negreanu, world champion poker player, a dear friend and a great example in entrepreneurial success and personal success. Thanks for being here, buddy. You got it, man. Have a good one. You too. And I wanted everybody to, to hear what Daniel had to say, because to me, Daniel is the epitome of an entrepreneur. He's a risk taker. He did his homework. He really studied his craft. He enters the arena with confidence. He has the courage to stand toe to toe. He's prepared to take a loss today, hoping for a win tomorrow. And those are the classic traits of a great entrepreneur. So, Life is poker. I mean, business is poker, right, KC? I mean, you know, you, you dealt a hand, and you got to play the hand you've got. Got to deal and, with it, yeah. And not only do you have to play your hand, but you got to play against the hands that other people have. If you're competing for a promotion, competing for a job, competing for an opportunity in life, sometimes you can win with the lesser hand. That's the lesson in Daniel Negreanu. You see, you don't have to have the best hand to win, KC. You just have to have the smartest play to win. And that's the lesson in Daniel Negreanu. So we got to get good. We got to play right. We got to know the game. And, and that's how you win. So I am excited because this is, I think, one of my favorite times in the show. Is it not, Casey? It, it, is, it is your favorite time of the show, John. So I get to talk to, to, to my fans and audience. And anybody who wants to talk to me should 
send me an email podcast at john taffer.com podcast at john taffer.com come on be tough lay it on me give me some tough Shut questions about life give me some challenges give me some financial dilemmas put me in a political box corner me challenge me and i will answer i'm not sure it'll be right but i will answer kc so please send me an email at podcast at john taffer.com and you and i could be talking on this podcast next week so we got some good callers this week, KC? We've got Michael from Ocean City, New Jersey, who needs some tips on public speaking. He gets super nervous when he gets up there in front of people. Michael, you there? Hi, Mr. Taffer. How are you today? Good, Michael. How you doing, buddy? Good. Thank you for taking my call. I really appreciate it. Um, just a so little who background do you speak for to? you. you do public speaking, who do you speak to? Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a marketing major, so I'm, I'm a senior in college right now. So when, um, when I do presentations... Um, you know, right when I get up there, I'll prep. I'll do all my prep. I'll go over my notes. But right when I get up there is the moment that I just get a big knot in my stomach. And it's weird because I know I don't have anything to worry about. I know, you know, a lot of the college students, you know, if they're not paying attention, but if they're not paying attention, you know, I have nothing to worry about. So it's just yeah. weird how I just get a knot in my stomach every time I get in a large group of people. But I'm not a shy person. Like, I work in customer service. So it's it's just a, it's, it's a very weird sensation that I get when I – getting a large group of people and have to give them presentation. So once you start talking for a couple of minutes, does that go away or does it stay with you the whole time? It honestly stays with me the whole time. I would do a 40-minute presentation last semester, and I powered through it, but you can tell that I started shaking, I started stuttering, and I just, and being a marketing major, I can't, I don't want that to happen in the professional setting once I get a full-time job. No, so so you know I, I am a public speaker and I've done this for thirty five years. That's why I'm on TV, probably because of my public speaking abilities. <laughs> uh, uh, buddy, I had the same issues you did in the beginning. And here's what I learned: I used to put all my notes on three by five cards, or I'd put all my notes on a video monitor, and I'd practice it at home, and I'd try to remember the words and the sentences. And I was so overwhelmed with reading what was on my cards and worried about the next sentence that I wrote and worried and worried and worried that, that I was a nervous wreck for the speech. Then one day I said to myself, you know what? F this. I'm not doing the three by five cards. I'm going to do a PowerPoint presentation, but it's not going to have sentences. It's going to have my bullet points. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to read. I'm not going to present. I'm going to talk to them. So mm-hmm. if I need to talk about I'm just going to say marketing. If I need to talk about a particular campaign, I'm going to put down the two or three bullets that I need to talk about so that I'm not stumbling to find my words or read off a card or anything. If the first word is ad budget, I'm going to look them in the eyes and say, okay, now for the ad budget, guys, here's what we're thinking. And now I'm looking in their eyes, not at a podium, not anyplace else, and I'm talking to them, not at them. That's been really successful for me. Okay. Try that. Yeah, now, yeah. I know it's a little scary in the beginning because you're not going to have every word prepared in every sentence. Right. But, but yeah. if you cannot focus on your presentation and focus more on them, you'll get more comfortable. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, One of the big things I, I try not to do, and the professors are always like, don't read your presentation to the class. And that's something I really right. I don't want to do. But then once I get, you know, once I'm in front of the group, it just, it just, I keep referring back to it. My eyes keep going back to the screen or the monitor, and I, I want to keep that eye contact. It's just I got to get used to, like you just said, just start talking to the class, not so, reading off my slide. So what you need to do is next time, buddy, I want you to take a chance. I want you to okay. know your content well because you got to know your content well to do this, right, because it's not going to exactly. be all written in front of you. 
I want you to come up with the 10 or 12 bullet points that are key to your presentation. Practice those bullet points to yourself. Make sure that you know them when you talk about them to yourself when you're practicing. But you're not practicing a script. You're not writing a presentation. You're practicing the the key things that you want to say about each bullet in your mind. Then get up. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And don't give a speech. Get up there and talk about each bullet. Make sense? And look into somebody's eyes when you talk to them. At every moment, you should be talking to someone. Okay. Your eye should go from eye to eye, move from person to person. Talk to okay. them. Don't talk, uh, uh, don't present to them. Try okay. that. I bet it works. I will. Absolutely. I appreciate it, Mr. Taffer. Thank you. My pleasure. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to send me a note. Let me know how it goes, okay? Absolutely. Will do. And Casey, I want to get this guy a shut it down button. You got it. Okay, so stay on the line. KC is going to get your address. I'm going to send you shut it down, buddy, because when the next speech doesn't go well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to hit the button so you can hear. Okay? Perfect. (laughs) Thank you. Hey, Bobby, you on? Yes. All right. You're on with John Taffer, Bobby. Hey, Hey, John. How's it going? Good, thanks. I understand you had some bar rescue questions for me. Uh, Yes, sir. Yes, sir, I do. Um, uh, First, I just wanted to thank you. Uh, Your show came out when I was a new bartender and I got to learn a lot from that and it actually helped me a lot with bartending. So I really appreciate that. Oh, that's um, great, buddy. I love hearing things like that. It makes it, you know, it makes me fight that much harder next week. So thanks. Yeah. Some of the stuff was just really amazing. So, uh, you have a couple questions about the show. When do you give the staff notice that you're showing up? Cause in the show, um, you know, they, they do the surveillance and then you show up, you see something you don't like, and then you guys, you know, you're like, shut it down. You're not going home for three days because you got to clean. And I've always wondered, do like, are they able to tell their families ahead of time, like a week or two in advance, that you might be showing up at any time? So that way, hey, I'm not going home for 24 hours. You, you, sure, you sort of got it. So let me give you the inside scoop on this. So what happens is to keep it real, we have to mess with them. Because if people know I'm coming, their bar is going to pe- be packed. And it's not going to be indicative of their real lives. You see what I mean? So we, we want to mm-hmm. be discreet when we come in. So typically what we'll do is we have to mess with them. They have to think I'm coming either the next day or I was going to come the last day or I'm at another bar and we do things to, to, to uh, 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 be a little sneaky. For example, we'll hang some extra lights inside the bar. And then we'll have we'll send the crew in to start pulling those lights down, and we'll tell them John Taffer left. He's he's uh, he went to another location. He's not going to be doing this one. And we'll start to pull the lights down, and they'll think the cameras have stopped, and that we're not doing the show. Then it gets real, because sometimes they were starting to fake it for TV. Other times they think I'm coming in four hours, and I show up four hours early, catch them with their pants down. Other times they think I'm coming four hours early, I walk in four or five hours late, catch them with their pants down. Sometimes I'll make my cameras disappear that are on people's shoulders. So we're just using the hidden cameras in the building so so that I can get reality out of it that way. So it's really a challenge. We we have to do some sneaky things to keep it real and to have people not know where we are. So when I walk in, that reaction is real. The other thing is uh, they know that, that, that I might come and the condition of me possibly coming is their time commitment, which is really what you were talking about, Bobby. And that is they're committed for five days time and they are on call 24 hours a day for those five days 
So if they want to remodel, if they want Taffer to come to their property, that's the commitment that they need to make. And uh, they do. Now, sometimes they'll get fired the first day or they'll be sent home and they're told never to come back and things happen. But I don't know what I'm walking into. I mean, a place could be a complete disaster. Uh, uh, they could be completely untrained. The owner could be the problem. Maybe it's the employees that are the problem. But, you know, th- th- it's going to be long days uh, when I get in there. And that's what they are. They run about 12, 14 hours each day. Does that answer your question for you? Oh, it does, actually, because yeah, that's something I've always wondered. Thank you so much for, for taking my call. I really appreciate it. Hey, so, John, we've got uh, Jeff from Charlotte, North Carolina, who is looking to start a consulting business with his wife and needs some advice. Hey, Jeffrey, you want to get into my business? You sure about this, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I do. And I got to say, uh, we're all huge fans. And when I sent I sent one email uh, after listening to your podcast, I heard you on uh, Gary Vaynerchuk's podcast where you guys were talking about uh, your social media napkin. presence. And, and so I napkin. searched for you. I found it and just blown away. So uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, my pleasure, buddy. So you've been in a restaurant business for years. You're a GM. What are you best at as a general manager? Are you best at raising revenue, best at managing expenses, best at customer experience? What are you great at? You know, what I feel like I'm great at is the experience uh, for guests and for uh, my team. Uh, I've got a lot of passion for uh, the people and the development, training, uh, and, and getting the most out of people. And that's where I feel like I'm strongest. You know, I've been really privileged to work for some great owners and operators and They've helped me learn the other things, you know, like uh, managing my numbers, managing my expenses. But for me, uh, I feel like a lot of it starts uh, with the guest experience and top line indicators. You have top line things like sales, guest experience. I want to focus on those things and the bottom lines will adjust. So I, I agree with you. And, you know, to all business people that are listening, I always love to ask this question when I do seminars and such. And I just did a big one in Reno the other day. And I uh, gave one a, a couple of months ago to the New York Yankees uh, are giving this very same discussion. And the fact of the matter is th- that when we consult for people or when we do something, what we do has to be measurable. So when I was young and coming up in the business, uh, Jeffrey, w- what I learned is somebody taught me how to drive revenue, promotions, marketing, gratis programs, frequency programs, spend programs. I learned how to be a revenue monster when I was young. And I could go to a restaurant or a hotel, and over a few months, I could raise revenue 20 to 30%. And boy, did I get noticed. Yeah, Other definitely. friends of mine were great at shaving labor costs a few points, or great at shaving this or shaving that, or could make a plate look better. They didn't get noticed. I got promoted, and they didn't. And what yeah. I found was, if we're going to be a consultant, or we're going to be a corporate employee, or we're going to be a general manager, we have to focus on is what is most impactful. And as a consultant, uh, uh, your client is looking at direct value for the money that they've paid you. The only direct value that I have found as a consultant that is measurable and nails in between the eyes is revenue. If revenue is increased by anything, it, draw, it drives perceived value for the person involved. People who increase revenue perform magic. People who reduce costs are administrators. Yeah. And that, that's the lesson that I want to give you. So you've got to be the master of promotions. You need a book of 50 or 100 of them that you know are going to drive lunch, drive spend, drive traffic, drive dinner, drive happy hour, sell more eggs for breakfast. If you can't impact their revenue, 
then I don't believe you'll be a successful consultant. That's the magic to success in any business. He who drives revenue drives their future. I hope that, that helps. Total sense. No, total sense. Yeah, man, that, that was 100% on point, and I, I really appreciate it. My pleasure, buddy. Good luck. Thank you. And, hey, my daughter, Peyton, is uh, uh, a big fan as well. So I, I got to say I, I appreciate you taking the time. She was so excited for me to get the chance to talk to you, and we just finished watching the uh, episode that aired on Sunday night uh, uh, from Jacksonville. And we watched it together, and she just absolutely loves watching watching you. And so we appreciate everything you do, and thank you for taking the time to talk with me. Uh, hold on, buddy. I want you to give your address to Casey, my producer, and I'm going to send your daughter a shut it down button. That she can push, and I'll scream, shut it down in your house all day long for you. <laughs> that sounds David. fantastic. She'll love that. Well, that does it for this week, so thanks for listening. And a real special thanks to my buddy, Daniel Negreanu, for being here. I think we all learned something from talking to him. And if you want to follow me, it's at John Taffer on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or email me at podcast at johntaffer.com if you'd like to be on the show. And most important, hit subscribe at Apple Podcast. Or go to podcastone.com or the Podcast One app, and you'll be able to get your new episodes automatically every Tuesday. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to No Excuses with John Taffer on Podcast One. Download new episodes every Tuesday here on podcastone.com, the Podcast One app, and at Apple Podcasts. Make sure to rate and review. 